Welcome to Balcony Cheerleader, the podcast dedicated to celebrating you. I'm your host, Miss Thunder, and it's boom time. In the building, I have an FSU champion. I have an author, a scholar, motivational speaker. Everybody, let's welcome Dr. Kendrick Scott. Kendrick, how you doing? Hey, Miss Thunder, doing good. Show. Okay, you, you got to wake up and give me more energy. <laughs> well, listen, usually I'm on stage in front of like, you know, two, three hundred people or I'm in front of, um, you know, class or or that type of a setting. So we usually get pretty loud. But give me a minute. We'll wake up. <laughs> give you more than a minute okay so Kendrick when did you know football was your sport and you knew you wanted to take it to the next level well I really didn't you know football came you know you always play football in the backyard you play football with your brothers growing up right but never this thought of me playing football in a next level we never had that thought uh, we grew up, I grew up, my, my parents are ministers. We grew up traveling. Right. And so we played football everywhere we went, but never to the next level. I had no idea, no thought of playing at another, at another level at all until probably about, about maybe probably going into my senior year, maybe. And that's maybe when I first thought of it, but not even in high school, never even a thought. Really? Okay, so walk me through your senior year. You start getting colleges to come and take a look at you. Why did you choose FSU? Not that I'm knocking you because, hey, you know, FSU is the only school, but hey, but why didn't you choose? Because you're from Chiefland. Why didn't you choose University of Florida? Well, well, let's back up a little bit. So I um, didn't start getting any recruiting from a lot of the major schools at first I mm-hmm. had a good, fr- good friend of mine, one of my best friends in high school, by the name of Oscar McBride. And he started getting a, a lot of looks because he was rated, I think the number one tight end in the country at the time. Okay. So, but we were always together. We were always together. We were always hanging out, did everything together. And some of my other friends as well, like Daryl Norris and some of the other guys, when, another, when our coach, was changed when we were sad about actually doing our junior year. He came in with a different attitude, a different perspective. He said, we're going to get you guys some looks. And so along with that, he took us to schools like Valdosta State. And okay. I remember three or four of us went, me, Oscar, Daryl Norris, I think, and, and maybe a couple of other guys. He took us to Valdosta State. And man, when I saw those guys at Valdosta State, I thought I wanted to play the next level. And there were other guys from other schools who were there that we knew as well. So that's the first time that we started thinking. But you talked about Florida State. Right. Um, McBride brought in a lot of those big schools. And I said to myself, wow, this might be an opportunity for me. To help me <laughs> what I can do. And, uh, and, and so that's kind of how that started. And right. we, we took some visits to Florida, and um, but we were playing basketball. So we really didn't right. take all of our visits. Right. So I remember on Friday nights we were playing basketball. We had stuff to do. So right. We didn't really take all but anyway, well, that's kind of that's that's how it that's how it got started. You guys were also athletic because not only did you play football, um, but you guys played basketball and you ran track. 
Yeah. So we played basketball. Um, you know, we, we ran track. When you say, you know, Oscar and I, we were basketball. We were on the track team together, football. Then we did weightlifting. Yeah. And, you know, we did every sport that we could. Every right. single sport that we could. could right. And because we want to keep ourselves active. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so tell everybody what position you played in high school versus the position for football, what you played at Florida State. Oh, that's a great great question. So in high school, I, I really wanted to play middle backer. Right. I wanted to be a middle linebacker. I thought right. that, would, that would suit me and my height and my athleticism. But coach put me at a position called Sam linebacker. And all I had was um, what we call tight end to quarterback. Right. I kept the tight end from catching the pass. Now I can that's go sack the quarterback. And so right. we, we did pretty well at that position. Right. And that, that's what, that's the position I played. It was kind of an outside backer type right. of position. And um, it was a great position for me. So when you, go ahead. Mm -hmm. when you played at um, Florida state, what position did you play um, well, there? I, well, I was a, I was a middle linebacker, a uh, 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 Mike linebacker. Played yeah. Little, played a little mm -hmm. weak side as well. So from weak side to the, to the Mike linebacker. That's what I played in college. So when the scholarships were coming and going, you still decided to play under Bobby Bowden as a walk-on. Mm -hmm. Tell every young man that's out there what it's like to become a walk-on versus having the scholarship money thrown at you. Walk them that, through that a, process. That's a great question. And, and if we can, it, it's sort of a precursor to what we were talking about before. Right. I had a lot of small school offers. Right. I had offers too. So, so we were in a program called Upward Bound. So yeah. Even before, and you started up with the FSU. So, but even before those offers start to come in and we start to th think about those bigger schools, um, you know, through Upward Bound and my parents, I had offers to Albany State, um, had offers to Alcorn State. Tell you a quick story about Alcorn State. Um, they told me, they said, listen, we're going to give you a full scholarship. We want you to come out and play fullback for us because I was a fullback also in high school. Right. And we're going to have this guy that's going to come in. He's going to be a great um, um, quarterback for us, we think. And and, I, and it was and, he, and they then they said we want you to block for him. I'm like, who quarterback? <laughs> yeah, whatever. But of course, that guy was Steve Aaron McNair. Oh wow! <laughs> so wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you regret anyway, that? Do you regret that though, Kendrick? No, no, no. I don't regret my decisions because I had Tuskegee sent me an offer through the mail. Right. I, I had a full scholarship to punt. I could have went there and punted. I'm like, God, I don't want to punt. I want to hit somebody. And Northeast <laughs> Louisiana, I was supposed to go to school with guys um, from um, from Lake, some, some friends of mine from Lake Butler. So we had a lot of small school offers, but um, it was a prayer, to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. It was a prayer. Mm -hmm. When I walked across my high school stage, I had no idea where I was going to school. Mm. But, you know, a few schools offered me walk-on opportunities, like Florida, mm -hmm. Florida Georgia Tech, um, Central Florida. They, you know, like, listen, you can come and walk on. We're not going to offer you, but you can come and walk on. And um, and if you if you prove yourself, you can get a scholarship. Hey, but what was that walk-on like? Because when I'm training my athletes, and um, some of them are preferred uh, walk-ons. And I tell them, look, you got to be prepared to walk on water because if you make the team the following year, that means you're taking a scholarship away from somebody else. So please tell the listeners what it's like to be a walk-on, how hard you have to work. I mean, you really got to dig down deep. Yeah. I tell people, if you want to be a walk-on, 
you want to, you know, get the, the, the last pair of pants that's in the closet. <laughs> you want to have a guy tell you, you got to be in the top 50 to get gloves just to be at the game. Come on. You want to wait your turn and not only wait your turn, but wait past other people. It's, it's a lot being a walk-on, especially, I mean, we signed the number one recruit class in the country. Absolutely. State. So that was, you know, we were Alabama before Alabama. Now, actually, we were better. Um, exactly. We were 14 top five finishes. That's record may not ever be broken. So we were a top university that you're trying to walk on to. This is right. not Podunk University. So, you know, it's, it's a long story in that. And, and we can go into some grand detail, however you want to go. But I, to answer your question, I tell people it's difficult. It's one mm -hmm. of the most difficult things in the world is to be a walk-on because you're in the middle. You're not really part of the guys, but but when you're in school, you're looked at as part of the guys. So you're mm -hmm. sort of in this middle sort of position there. And it was very, very, very difficult. And yeah. I would understand the difficulties of that. Yeah, because you have to, it, I'm sure it takes its toll on you, not only physically, but emotionally, because you're torn between two worlds and you're always in a position where you constantly have to prove yourself, no matter on any given day, seven days a week, 24 seven, you have to always be that guy that has to prove yourself to not only the team, but, you know, to the people back home, your family that's still rooting for you and want to see you on Saturday afternoon. Oh, that, that's a fact. <laughs> and, and, and your family, you know, one of the things for me was my family coming to the game and I wasn't a lot of the walk-ons or some, they were happy with putting on the uniform. They were happy with standing on the sideline. Not me. I said, I'm not having my parents come to these games and I'm not getting in the game. And, and, and back then when I played walk-ons just didn't play. And Basically. that was the thing. And so, but my whole thing was, Hey, listen, I want to, prove to myself and, you know, show my hometown and that, you know, I could accomplish a goal. And I kept saying to myself, even as difficult as it was, the only thing I kept saying to myself is I can't go home. I can't Ooh, go home. That That's was all drive. I said. That, that was, was the it. drive. I that thought about drive. all my friends back home. I thought about the guys I played ball with, the guys that were athletes with us. And I just kept repeating that to myself. The nights that I cried, I kept repeating that to myself. I can't go home. Wow. I can't go home. Because we had had guys in our high school who were great athletes, but we didn't have any examples of people who had went to college and finished. And, and I just finished. And finished. That's it. And finished. It. We, we, we see them go away, but they don't finish. So tell me, what was it like... Um, being on a team with Bobby Bowden and Mickey Andrews, because the two people are totally different. Their personalities and their style of coaching was totally different. So tell me a little bit about, you know, what, because I remember one time in a conversation, you said you didn't really see Bobby until on game day. Yeah. Well, he would, he would be on practice and probably, you know, as far as having conversations with the players, Okay. He would definitely be in his tower on the on the on the cart, you know, you know, riding around. So you would see him, but maybe not have that conversation with him. But being, you know, Bobby Bowden, Coach Bowden was a legend then. And right. just imagine, you know, this guy is bigger than life. He's a legend. <laughs> and you really, to be honest, you probably don't understand the magnitude 
of who he is and who they were while you're there because we're 17, 18. Look, when I got to college, I was seven, I was 17. Right. I was 17 years old. And I was young. I had only played three years of football. I didn't start playing football until I was a sophomore in high school. Really? I, I didn't even know the game. That really. I didn't play, I didn't put on a pair of pads until I was a sophomore in high school. And that just is a testament to your athletic ability. Right. So by the time I got to college and I'm playing with these guys, guys from Miami, these guys, some of these top guys like the Marvin Jones and the Corey Sawyers and all of these guys, these guys have been, these guys knew the game. And so, but anyway, so playing with Coach Bowden and Mickey Andrews, it was a treat to watch how these people were in practice and how they turned it on for the cameras and how their personas sort of was, was so big and so larger than life. And it was a treat just to watch every day. What was it like for you, like in practice? Because Mickey, am I right? Coach Mickey Andrews was more of a hands-on coach that you work with more daily, correct? Well, yeah, he was a defensive coordinator. So you really work with your position coach more. So okay. he was a position coach for the DBs. Okay. Plus, he was a de- plus he was a defensive coordinator. So who you really worked with was guys like uh, Ronnie Cottrell, who was a position coach. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, for, for, for the linebacker. So you have those position coaches and you really go to your position coach more so than, than, than anything mm-hmm. um, who's, who's ever coaching your position, but Mickey would do the overall sort of coordinating the defense right. so that we do what we're supposed to do. Now, did he have the ability to light you guys up when you guys were messing up? Was he no, like, no, no. <laughs> he's known for that, right? He's known for you know, the get your and gear, uh, you know, give him a gasser, which is, you know, one of the ways that we run wind sprints or he's known for this sort of country. You know, here's the thing. Coach Mickey Andrews and Coach Bowden, they're known for their sort of southerness, if you will. Yes. But they were brilliant, brilliant men. How so? How so? How so? So, so Mickey Andrews, you know, people, people and I, and I watch people and they're like, oh, I love Mickey Andrews. People thought that he was just the guy that was yelling just yell at the players and cuss at the players. No, Mickey could watch a play and break down 11 guys and tell each person what they did wrong and what they should do. He could do that on the fly without watching film. Every really? single, yes. I watched these guys, uh, brilliant. Bobby Bowden, I seen him come out the stand. You know, people are like, oh, he doesn't coach. I watched Bobby Bowden come out of his tower, walk down and tell the receiver how to run a route, how to run a route on a particular play. And that receiver was that receiver was an all American. So Bobby Bowden knew his offense. Okay, Bobby Bowden knew his offense. Now, what would you say was their greatest asset into motivating? Because break it down. You were um, on the squad. I mean, that was just like you guys. I would say the terror squad, the mighty squad. Y'all were the horsemen. You were with Derek Brooks, Warwick Dunn. I mean, Charlie Ward. How do you? Well, I mean, the motivation to get you guys to play at that level and then win mm-hmm. a national championship ring. Come on now. Yeah, superlative at its finest. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Those are good questions, by the way, because when I got out there. I looked out there and there are 120 guys on the team. And Miss Donner, let me tell you, these guys can play. There were guys that people never heard of that were awesome players. Really? I mean, some of the superstars were, were, were really good, but there were some guys who people have never heard of that could play the game. And one of the things that um, 
Coach Bowden would always say, and let me tell you what he motivated me for as not only on the field, but off the field, he would always give us a talk. He gives you a talk about life. He talked to you about your, um, um, you know, about religion in a sense. And when I say religion, he always, he was unapologetic about being a Christian man and using some of those, some of those principles. He wouldn't try to convert you but he would just tell you exactly what drove him and the, some mm. of the values that he lived by and wow. that had helped him. And one of the things I'll say in case I forget is one of the things that he always said, and it helped me to write my books. It helped me to finish a lot of tasks is, and I repeat this mantra almost daily. He used to say, if you wait until you're perfect before you do something, you will never do it. And Ooh. he would, Yes. And he would challenge us to go out to speak in the communities, to, to talk to kids. He said, but you're not you're not perfect. But if you wait until you're perfect, you'll never do it. And that's something that's one of the things that I've taken with me throughout my life. Wow. I mean, I got chills just listening to that as we take this break, as we take this quick break. Um, I'm going to ask the listeners to please subscribe to the show and download this episode. And if you would like to be a part of Balcony Cheerleader, I'm going to ask you to go to MissThunder.net as we continue this wonderful conversation and episode with Dr. Kendra Scott, Achieving the Championship Ring. Okay, so Kendrick, as we were talking earlier, you were saying how Bobby would give you that mantra and that was the, the catalyst that even helps you and propels you now, right? Uh, that's correct. And, and, you know, and as far as winning the national championship, you know, what I learned is, I learned this about team. And I learned this about, you know, never giving up, being resilient because we hadn't won it. Coach Bowden had never won a championship. But, you know, those teams and those that love that you have for the people who are on your team, when I give talks today or I do my consulting work today, I teach teamwork. In organizations, we teach teamwork. And so that's one of the things that he was big on and he done very well. What was so different about that year? Because that was the year, the year you guys won the national championship. That was also the year that you guys lost to Notre Dame. Wow. You want to bring up the law? <laughs> no, but you know what? Let me tell you why I brought that up. Because that was the year um, you guys lost the one game to Notre Dame and everybody thought, okay, the Knowles is out of it. But when you were when, when the team was down, they came back fighting stronger, bigger than ever. So the whole point behind that is, okay, if you lose, there's always room for success. That was the thing, and that was the turnaround, wasn't it? Because well, when uh, FSU lost to Notre Dame, that was in the earlier part of the season. Um earlier to me I don't, I don't know it was actually the later late latter lot of latter part of the season um when, when we lost to Notre Dame but okay. that year was a, that year we had a guy by the name of Charlie Ward and um Charlie Ward made a lot of great plays that year I always thought that you know going into the season we were ranked number one coming in and which you never want to do by the way you never want to be ranked number one because you why is that because you have bullseyes on your back and the cameras are and the news reporters there are all over everywhere they're all over campus when you're ranked number one and it's just too many distractions so what right. you really want to do is come in at about four five or four or five let those guys and let those front runners take those hits 
right you kind of ride the wave kind of you know get in the draft a little bit kind of like they do in 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 car racing but um so uh, you know but you know to to go to, to your point that loss to Notre Dame I think helped us because I believe here's here's my here's my assertion here's what I think and this is this is my opinion I believe whichever team won that game would have lost was going to lose at some point because it's so much emotion. And I think if we would have won that game, I think we would have lost to Florida in the swamp um, because there are times when you feel invincible and you don't right. focus on the details. And I thought there were a few details that, that were missing in that game, but look, we were playing a great team. We were playing a, a great team, a great squad. And we knew that and we played in Notre Dame. Now, now granted, Coach Bowden was 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 looked at as king of the road. And so Absolutely. if a team said they want to play us, we're going to schedule that game. It doesn't matter what you're ranked. And guess what? We'll come to your stadium and mm. play that game. You mm. see what I mean? So Absolutely. He, he gets a little bit of, I, I give Coach Bowden credit for that. And But it was a great game. We lost, um, you know, on the last play. We had a couple guys open in the end zone. But right. Notre Dame did what they had to do to win that game because I don't know who were favored in that game. I don't remember, but they did what they had to do. And of course, um, losing in that game, you know, hurt. But then the next week, I think Notre Dame lost the next week. And then we were, you know, back back there again. But we were playing against, um, um, you know, some of my friends, well, my friend, you know, Oscar McBride on that team. So it was bittersweet for me. I was right. happy, happy for him, sad for, fat, sad for <laughs> us. But I, yeah. I realized the magnitude of, of, of what of what the game meant. You know, I did my research on that game. And that particular year, that was the most televised um, collegiate football game ever in the history. Because you had two legendary coaches. You had Lou Holtz and you had Bobby Bowden. And when you have those Bulls in the same arena, I mean, like you said, all eyes, people were more hyped about the game, but they wanted to see the reaction of Holtz versus Bowden and this and that. And I was just like, cause I remember watching that game and it was just like you said, down to the wire. It was like one of the most invigorating games. I think there were more people watching that game versus Florida versus Florida state. And you would have thought, you know, because we're rival teams and Miami, you guys played Miami that year. So yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, we played Miami that year. Man, we played, to me, it seemed like we played about three or four, at least about three games of the centuries that year. <laughs> we had, look, we, we, played, we played a great North Carolina team. That's who true. They fought. They were, you know, they had two great running backs. And they called that, they called that game for them the game of the century. So we played, I mean, then, then the Miami game will never, never disappoints, right? So Absolutely. We, we, you know, we played some high level teams that year that we had. Look, we almost lost to Clemson. We I almost lost that. to Clemson in the, you know, in their stadium. We had to beat them on like a last second drive to beat them. So mm -hmm. it was, a, we, we had a lot of, we, you know, we played a, we, we played a, a tough schedule. One of the toughest schedules ever, to be honest. So when you guys win the national championship, so mm -hmm. to take it to the next level, you sure. guys got to go to the White House. 
So what was that like? Did you press your suit, make sure you had your hair cut? What was that like going to, dun, 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 I mean, the vanguard, the White House, and you met Bill President, former President Bill Clinton. That mm. had to be like, okay, I've reached the precipice. <laughs> yeah, it, it was it was an amazing time that we were, we were able to go to the White House. We dressed up and uh, I remember Coach Bowden giving us an option. We we wore our um, some sweatsuits at the time, right? And, we, and that's that's what we wanted to wear. We don't and, and we look good. And we look great. Felt good, <laughs> um, but it felt good to to go to the White House. I mean, at that time, you got to think. You know, we're young. You know, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22 year old men. But now we're traveling. A lot of us had never been on a plane, not 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 been on a plane, but never been that far out of the state. Um, right. Because we did fly to other, 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 other games and stuff. But so we were excited, happy, <laughs> didn't know what to expect. But, you know, you know, so it was a great, we realized though, that it was a great opportunity. I just tried to take as many pictures as I possibly could. <laughs> did uh, you I, get a- had, I didn't get a lot, to be honest with you. <laughs> were you scared? Were we, you nervous? We no, we didn't have camera phones back then. And I was you know, it was back then when you had to like, you know, had this little knob on your camera that you had to use your thumb <laughs> and you had to take the camera to the, you know, wherever you had to take it to get the get the photos developed. So, but that's right. what I remember like trying to capture those moments. Yeah. Did you shake President Bill Clinton's hand and or did when you got there, was it everything that you that okay, this is the White House, this is, you know, this and that, or were you kind of like surprised to see? Because I've heard players say they were most shocked to see all of the servicemen the fbi men around did you see yeah Yeah, that's what they you know i was interviewing another player and he said it wasn't like you would see it on tv he's like everywhere you turn like if you made one left turn there was somebody that was right there you felt like a sharpshooter was ready to see you you're right really you're right listen one thing that really, you know, had, I have an indelible memory in my head of, we were known as this jokester type team, right? right. We, played, we played Kansas in a kickoff classic that year too. They right. were supposed to be good, but we were joking and cla- we were always doing that. Those guys got on that bus when we got to DC, when we got to the White House, they came on the bus with their guns. And they, what? Said, they said, no, they said, listen, don't play. We don't play at the White House. Don't come out here playing. And I remember the guy telling us, we shoot. He said, we shoot and practice every day. So don't play. We don't. <laughs> <And I> remember, <laughs> Did it get real remember, for you, Kendrick? Oh, Did without question. <laughs> without question. And, and then here's the other surprising thing about that. He said there are threats on the president's life every day. He okay. said that we just, he said that they just don't report it because copycats would start. And right. so the amount of security that's there, I couldn't imagine just anybody like broaching that security. But, um, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know. Sometimes maybe it happens. I'm not sure. But that's a different story. Right. Who were the main jokesters, if you don't mind sharing, besides well, yourself? Well, listen, you know, um, <laughs> a guy by the name of James Cheney was was a joke. So the guy that's rest in peace to Todd McIntosh. Um, mm-hmm. Those guys were, but we had a lot of great guys, <laughs> with, uh, great personalities. But, you know, you get caught up in that well of, uh, web of joking and playing and 
playing the dozens as people call it. We call oh, it. Oh yeah. People right. call it. Ro- people call it roasting these days. But right. you know, we we had a but it made you tough. Yeah, it made you mean. tough. And so when he came on that bus and told you guys, I think you guys started walking like military soldiers at that point. <laughs> Better. Because they just made it clear. They was like, listen, we, we don't have time. You know, this is the, 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 you know, should be the most secure place in the world. We have the, the you know, we have the figure, we have the president of the United States, the most powerful person in the world. We have to protect right. him. absolutely just don't play because they don't they don't ask questions they shoot and that's what they really they really stamped (laughs) you was going back home on that bus to tell without without question i i did get i did manage to get a picture though with my camera with with bill clinton okay so i managed to get there and i had a you know got a couple of pictures with him so okay so so it was more or less a photo op for the presidency to shake everybody's hand and then move out did you see hillary I did not see Hillary, but um, but we saw we we toured. We didn't get a, a grand tour. It was quick. It okay. was in the White House because you know the president is busy. But right. Bill Clinton, this guy, when they turn the cameras on, these guys are amazing as far as you know their ability to communicate. So, absolutely, absolutely. Oh my gosh! I mean, I'm still just trying to wrap my mind when you said when they got on the bus with those oh, man. guys. Listen. They 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 walked through the bus and they were like, listen, we should never listen, we should never oh <laughs> Okay. So when you guys get back on the bus, did you guys resume joking around or oh, yeah, of course. Like- <laughs> of course. And we probably even did a little bit of while we was in the White House too, but of course, of course. Of, of course. course. So after the national championship ring, where do you go from there? That means you guys are on top. Then the following year, what happens? Um, you know, the following year, we had a, a decent, you know, we had a new quarterback, guy by the name of Danny Connell came in. He was a starting quarterback in 1994, my senior year. Mm-hmm. Um, we were still ranked number two or number three in the country. Right. L- l- listen, that, that year, we had Danny Connell. We, um, we, we had a good team, but we go down to Miami and we lose, we could have won, but we lose. Um, we did have a wide right that year as well. Oh, yes. But, but if we would have beat Miami that year, we'd have been in the national championship game. Or if they would have had the playoffs, we would have been in the national championship game. We only lost one game that year. In 1994, we lost one game and we tied a game. Right. That was it. And so that that was a great year. We had to choke at Doak where Florida was up 31-3 on us. We came back and tied that game. But right. yeah, so but after a national championship, you know, it was kind of like a weight. People people used to ask, is it like euphoria? Was it euphoria where we were like, yeah, 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 yeah? Or was it a weight? It just felt like a weight because Coach Bowden had won hadn't won a national championship. And that was right. Wow. Listen, I want to thank you for being a guest and chopping it up with your girl, Miss Thunder. Do you think you'll come back and do another episode with me? Yeah, sure. I thank you so very much. Listen, if you want to be a part of the show, all you need to do is go to Miss Thunder 
www.mlcmilitary.net. I also want to thank our military veterans, active or retired, EMT, our firefighters, teachers, frontline COVID staff, and of course, our law enforcement officers. I salute you all. You guys, I'm telling you, are the everyday heroes. I also want to humbly thank our listeners for tuning in and allowing me, Miss Thunder, to be a part of your day. The goal for Balcony Cheerleader is always each one teach one. Hopefully, Dr. Scott and I got to reach one. If you want to reach me, you know where to go. Please go to MissThunder.net. Don't forget to subscribe and download this episode. Until next time, goodbye, Dr. Scott. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye, thank you.